Gym sessions and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard-to-remove odors. Clorox Fabric Sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our Fabric Sanitizer products. Search Fabric Sanitizer at Clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. With 24-7 support and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm, I'm, I'm recently back, back in the USA, uh, from uh, about a month in Canada. And, uh, you know, I regret uh, that I've, I've become kind of an audio snob. I'm sitting here back with my rig and, and I'm obsessing about crackles I hear and, you know, going around and... Uh, you know, t- turning off the heat so it doesn't come on and making sure the vacuum Roomba doesn't automatically start rolling around. And it, it, just when I think I got silence, I can hear a clock ticking. So I got to move that in the other room. And, uh, um, you know, there was something really sweet in the the, the simplicity of, of recording, uh, doing that last podcast in... Um, New Brunswick in in quarantine on a little uh, Zoom H5, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> I think the quality was just fine, probably. Uh, um, and here I am worrying about this shit that um, sacrifices all sense of urgency and emergence or, and uh, uh, immediacy. Um, viva la, viva l'independence. It's um, podcast. Um, Last of the independents. Let's let's not let's not go pro. I hate that. Uh, uh, reminds me, you know, uh, out of quarantine in St. John, New Brunswick. Uh, one of the first things I did was to go see one of my oldest school friends. Stephen invited me over to his house for coffee, and uh, uh, he 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 was sharing with me a, he'd recently gone old school. Um, Vinyl. So the first thing he put on was uh, David Bowie's uh, Space Oddity, uh, which was nice. Got up at one point, flipped the sides. Side two is Janine, I think. Over to that. Um, And then at one point, his wife, Sandra, came in the room and uh, we're listening. And, uh, uh, you know, whatever ends. Is it Memory of the Free Festival ends that record? Uh, Ends one of the sides. So he goes to get another record and he, he pulls out Sheer Heart Attack by Queen, uh, an album I know well. Um, it's probably my favorite Queen album, arguably my favorite Queen album. And he goes, you know, I just recently bought this and, and I think he even like cracked the cellophane at that moment. I don't think he had, I'm pretty confident he had not listened to it before and put on you know, side one, and he said, you know, uh, back in the day, um, you know, he, I, I listened to, of course, you know, new 
Bohemian Rhapsody, certainly knew the game. Steve actually kind of looked like um, Freddie Mercury in the in the the game slash Live Aid era, um, or tried to emulate Freddie from that <laughs> era, which was cool, was super cool. Um, but he said, I, I didn't, I don't know early Queen. So I, you know, I've started listening to them. So he puts on side, side one and he puts on, uh, Brighton Rock. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's, it starts with the carnival sounds, right? And, uh, and, and Freddie starts singing and, and, and immediately like pure, adrenaline memory kicks in for me because both he and his wife look at each other, right? And they're like, well, wait a minute. That's not right. The sound is is not right. And they immediately have the reaction that I recall having when I first put on Brighton Rock, like 40 years ago, over 40 years ago, Freddie starts and your first impulse is, I have the record player on 78. It's clearly not, not right. I have to go and turn it right to 33 and a third. And it's like, no, Freddie's singing in falsetto. And so I say to him, no, 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 just wait, just wait. Magic in the air, I read my spell. <laughs> kicks in right oh rock of ages do not and they're like oh okay 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 this is fine this is this this is fine now i mean it was it, as as close to like pure sense memory of of a time like like something that you claw out of your head that um is covered in dust and cobwebs that becomes like just just immediate adrenaline um, fragment of this past pure um, I have to tell you it was it was probably one of the highlights of the trip well y'all it up and happened again. It up, it up and happened again. Somebody went up and died. Somebody died. Can you believe it? <laughs> uh, um, a close friend of mine died. Um, Terry, Terry Roth. Um, and uh, so I want to talk a little bit about Terry Roth. Uh, because um, he's played such an important uh, role, not only in in my life, but in the whole in the whole catalog of who killed Teresa. Um, behind the scenes, you know, behind the curtain, he was he was kind of a guy that that weaved this this magic um, through events that we've talked about. He, um, you know, he was the guy behind the scaffolding with a lot of these things and and touched certain events and points along the way that, that I've never really discussed. Um, and you know, it's not an unsolved murder, uh, 
uh, I don't have that. I don't have that this week. Um, you know, I could tell you about an unsolved murder. Uh, here, this this will be the this will be the quickest case we ever discussed. Um, 1977, a woman named Suzanne Gregoire in Montreal. She's found dead. She's a law student, right? Um, uh, she stabbed 80 times, 80 times, 1977. And it went unsolved for quite a while um, until they catch this guy. Uh, it wasn't, right, Guy Courteau. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a guy named Philippe Clement who's finally arrested for the murder of... Uh, the murder of Suzanne uh, Grégoire, um, uh, 1992, he escapes from prison. He walks out of a prison, a Quebec prison, right? He's a fugitive for a while, this, this, this long, long time offender, uh, um, <clears throat> incarcerated. And he just walks and, you know, they eventually catch him again. This is an old tale. This is a song we've sung many, many, many times before. That's it. That's it. That's the end of the unsolved murder for, or the solved murder, the case, the unknown case. You can look it up. I doubt you'll find anything on it. The 1977 stabbing murder of Suzanne Gregoire uh, for your listening pleasure here today on Who Killed Teresa? The podcast. I'm your host, John Allure. But we're we're going to talk about Terry Terry Roth. Um, uh, I'm just I'm just a little uh, a, a little surprised. He uh, uh, you know the news kind of you know like like Jungle Telegraph went out across the internet uh, earlier this week. Uh, I got a I I got a, actually a text first from my brother that just said Terry Roth. What the fuck. And my first impulse was, oh, shit, what is what is Terry done now? Because um, he could be a little bit impulsive at times. He, um, by his own admission, uh, suffered from ADD. And clinically, you know, not the way people say, I, you know, I have a little ADD. I'm not talking that. I think some of his closest friends would say, no, Terry suffered from attention deficit disorder. Um, so yeah, he was quite impulsive. Um so I run to the internet and look it up, and sure enough, there's people are posting uh, memorials to him on his Facebook page that he passed, uh, which was a bit of a shock to me because um, he he had alluded to the fact that he was a maybe a little bit ill, but I really thought it was an illness um, that where he had been hospitalized but had fully recovered. Um, I didn't know that he was he was going to die at the, at the age of 60 ish. Uh, and I had been communicating with him up, to, up until about six weeks ago. And he, and, uh, he never let on, uh, which was his, his I, I think people who knew him would say, well, that was Terry. He wouldn't want to burden you with that. Um, but but all the tributes coming in were were sort of like this was a guy who would um, totally selfless selflessly do things for others, help others, um, be the guy behind the scenes, um, you know, pitching in where he could, driving people, uh, you know, to the airport at three in the morning or or. Or let, not even, giving them money when they were helped out, or giving them a job, um, 
he had a he had a like an independent at one time it was a paper company on uh, De Carey in Montreal that he inherited from his his father. So you know, give people employment um, who were down down on their luck, down uh, on hitting hard times. He would do that a lot, or he would, um, you know, if if he knew someone who was struggling, and he said, well, "What? Yeah, I'll pay you. I'll pay a hundred bucks a week if you, you know, clean my place of business or my house." He, he didn't have to do that, but he did that, and that was consistent with the Terry that I knew. Um, that he was selfish and self selfless and and giving, um, so I say I say quite a shock. Now the origins of Terry Terry Roth, he, he was he was a friend of my sister's uh, of Teresa's. He was part of a pack, you know, that they they ran with in their teenage years, in their high school years. Although Terry didn't go, my understanding is to to Teresa's high school. Teresa went to the Catholic high school. Pierrefonds Comprehensive High School. So there's a band of them there. Um, but And we lived in Pierrefonds. Uh, uh, but Terry lived in Dollard des Ormeaux growing up uh, and um, and went to Riverdale, Riverdale High School, which said is, was, Riverdale was, uh, was more strategically, strategically placed for us to go to school because it was in our backyard, but it was the Protestant school. Um, back when you did those things. So we had to fuck off and walk, you know, a half hour in the snow, you know, typically to the, to the, to the Catholic school, you know, and then later you have to be bussed to St. Thomas, you know, which I think was in the Point Claire area or, or bussed to Pierrefonds Comprehensive was way the fuck over on St. Charles, I believe. Um, Instead of just walking across your lawn to Riverdale High, which would appear logical, Terry went there, um, and you know Terry was always always around. I would say I think I think like a lot of people had a crush or was secretly in love with Teresa or something like that. Um, but she was you know at one point dating the other Terry, Terry Demonte. In fact, for a while, uh, Terry Roth was known as Sandy Roth. Some people know him as Sandy. Some people know him as as Terry. Uh, and I think that's because there were just so many Terrys. It was a way to differentiate all the all the Terrys. Because Teresa was known as Terry and Terry DeMonte and Terry Roth. He, he separated himself from the herd. He went by Sandy for a while. Um, so very very close in this in this group. Um, you know, would a would a you know, run with everybody. And, uh, um, you know, I, I just knew him. Well, I know for he knew me as just this annoying little Danny Bonaducci kind of kid, uh, you know, Teresa's baby brother. Um, you know, that's how he knew me. Uh, I don't think he paid me much attention as, as he shouldn't. He was older, about four, four or five years older than me. Um, it wasn't till later that he started to play like a real, a real important role. Um, I didn't give it much thought until after he passed this week that I, I kind of cataloged all the places where he helped. Um, you know, and it started, 
uh, you know, it started around 2004 or five when, when we wanted to do, um, like a, a search of the area um, off Chemin-Guier where uh, Louise Cameron's body was found in 77 and potentially clothing belonging to Teresa was found uh, in 78. We, we wanted to canvas and search that area with a team, and we did. Uh, and I've talked about this before. You, you know, Quebec Secours showed up, the search and rescue group, uh, the Pryor family came uh, came out. Sharon Pryor's family, who had who had previous had had gone like missing in seventy five and uh, murdered. Uh, so all these people showed up, um, and and Terry was there. That was the first time I had seen him in about thirty years. Um, but what's really not known about that is they, you know, in order to orchestrate that, they, some some money exchanged hands. I I certainly was not. Uh, you know, as living above my means at that time and didn't have a lot of disposable cash. And, and Terry played, paid for the motel where I stayed. I found out later, he just, he just paid the bill. I stayed for like three days, um, down by Owl's Head, the, um, ski hill in that area. And he just paid for this hotel. And, and, and again, there would have been some money exchanging hands. I, I don't know precisely if Quebec Secours was was paid. I suspect they were, in order to to organize how to do a proper search and rescue. But Terry, I think, bankrolled that. Um, so the, the Terry number one, Terry number two. Um, when Kim Rosmo asked me to write a chapter for his book, Criminal Investigative Failures. Uh, at one point, we we came to the point where we needed photographs. We need we we needed a, a visual representation of what we were talking about, and what we what we really needed um, were case file photos of the Louise Cameron, Manon Zubay, and and Teresa's case. Um, and I had it, it, that was the point. You know, I can't remember. This was in the two thousands where I learned that that um, there was an archive in Longueuil, Quebec, of um, photos taken in the tabloids, LO police, photo police. Uh, but I was in North Carolina. It was Terry who physically went to Longueuil, um, to that office, and took the original photos from those cases. Um, I described what I wanted. I so, so the initial point of contact um, with the the uh, with uh, Rancor Jean Pierre uh, Jean Claude Jean Claude Jean Pierre uh, Rancor, the lawyer who owned who owned the inventory, was was not me. It was Terry. It was Terry Roth, who went and photographed the photos, and sent me digital copies. I remember him quite distinctly saying to me in the email saying, careful. He said, careful, particularly with the camera photos. These, these are graphic. And he, he cautioned me, you know, he cautioned me about that. Uh, and so, uh, so again, that was, that was Terry. I, you know, so, so many things. Uh, number three, <clears throat> again, as I said, I, I, 
I, I didn't have a lot of money in, in the in the early days. Uh, when I started a website, you know, there's there's back end costs with that. Terry, for for over a decade, paid for my web hosting through GoDaddy. Terry was in charge of. You know, just when you want a little spontaneity and some something chaotic, I, I get for it. Pickles climbing the walls here. I don't know why, but it's certainly entertaining. Um, oh, hang on. She wants in the closet. Hang on. <clears throat> Go for it. <clears throat> so, so web hosting and GoDaddy. Yeah, he he bankrolled that. It's not a lot of money, but you know, it's 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 upwards. I don't know. It's like a hundred bucks a year or something like that. Um, and he, um, it, in in fact, the only um, the point of discussion between Terry and I six weeks ago was um, I had finally got to the place um, where where I didn't want him to pay for it anymore. Uh, number one, I didn't need him to, uh, number two, I, I really kind of wanted control of the whole operation. It was getting, um, a little awkward because, uh, you know, we'd need to renew every two years and, and both of us would forget, you know, and, and my website would just like, it would just spontaneously shut down. It was like, what the fuck? There's a power outage, you know, or something. Who's fucking with me? Who's, who's? Hijack my site. And it was like, no, 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 we just forgot that we didn't pay the bill and, and forgot that it needs to be renewed in September of every two years, right? So I'd have to contact Terry and sort of say, hey, can you can you log in and pay this again? And, you know, he'd for, he'd ask me, what are the login passwords? And I'd forget. And, you know, there'd be a series of emails that were like, like, 30 email streams long <laughs> every two years where we'd have to, you know, refigure this out and reverse engineer our way back into making the site live. Um, and it, it was just, it was just getting, it was getting un, unmanageable, unreasonable, and there was no reason to make him pay for this. So, so th th that's really what went on is that I, I kind of wrestled it back um, from him. And that was our final communication and and again he never he never uh he never let on whatsoever you know all the feeling when you're reeling you step like you're thinking you're number one down a zero with a word leaving for another one Shift the worry from your head But then again She put 
trouble in your heart instead. Then you fall down to the ground, down to the ground. You'll know how to still won't cry when you're thinking of your mother's only son. Take to your bed, you set this piece and sleep, but Um, friends, as I said, talk about Terry was the guy who would drive you to the airport at three in the morning. Terry literally, literally did that for me. Um, and, and he, he did this at a most interesting point. Uh, it was actually, um, it was actually 2016 in, in, uh, I, I guess that was April, 2016 after that, that summit that we had had with other victims, uh, at the, I believe the hotel Bonaventure in, in, uh, in downtown Montreal with, um, the, uh, with Hugo Fredette and Stefan Perron, the, the shitheel filmmakers there. I said it. I finally, I finally said it. If you don't, you know, if you don't know the continuing story of Fredette and Perron, you should really read the book. I mean, um, if you don't have time to read the book, you know, just, uh, go to the bookstore and read the second last chapter, <laughs> you know, read that chapter. Cause I, I've been, I've been mum about that. Uh, but that's quite a story, uh, and I'm not going to get into it today. But anyway, um, you know, uh, so, you know, after that, that Sunday uh, summit with these with these guys, um, I was I was staying in this in in this shithole apartment or, or hotel flop house, really, on St. Denis in the plateau. Um, and, and sometimes I do that. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's the Marriott and sometimes it's like an old school motel. And, and this time I just wanted the, I wanted the flop house experience. So I was staying there and, and sure enough, you know, I, I had to get up at some ungodly hour, uh, to catch a five o'clock flight from Dorval back to RDU. And, and Terry showed up at, um, on a, on, on a, Monday morning at 3 a.m. to pick me up, to drive me to, to the airport. Um, because that's what he did. That's, that's just, you know, that's, that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of guy he, 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 he was, uh, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't always agree with Terry, uh, and, and he'd get these, uh, he get these fixed ideas on things. Uh, you know, it, it started just with, with little things. Like he'd often tell me the same story over and over again. Um, and you, and, uh, and it was good in some ways because the story originally was something I never knew, but then over time it was like, well, I've heard that one before. Um, uh, but I think we all know some people who do those things. And, um, I, I think we, um, uh, uh, 
You know, at the time they're an annoyance, but now uh, in reflection, it's the most charming thing I can think of. Uh, it's uh, one of the most charming aspects of, of Terry's personality. Um, so, so, you know, he would constantly remind me that uh, Teresa's favorite movie, uh, you know, was the Pink Panther series with Peter Sellers. And she just loved Peter Sellers and particularly the, the minky bit. Have, have you seen my minky? And he'd, he'd do this routine around that. And, um, you know, corny jokes. He'd, he'd remember old corny jokes that Teresa used to like. Uh, many of them off color, so I'm not going to repeat them. Um, you know, that was the day, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, in, in the, in the murder investigation of, of Teresa, he was, he had his own opinions that I didn't, you know, I didn't always agree with. Um, you know, you know, one, one thing about Teresa's case that he'd always, that he'd repeat, um, after she disappeared, he, he was one of the people, one of many who decided to make the drive from Montreal to the Eastern townships to see if he could help, uh, assist in the, uh, in, in finding her recovery, whatever. And, and to hear Terry tell it, um, in his mind, you know, he thought this was sufficiently a big deal that he expected that when he, he was going to drive into Lennoxville, that the, the Sarté du Québec helicopters would be in the air and there'd be search and rescue and all this stuff going on. And his impression was that, that he was just stunned at how little um, was being done to actually find her, which was, you know, my parents' <laughs> impression as well. Um, but Terry would repeat this over and over again, that, you know, the helicopters in the air and why weren't there helicopters in the air? Um, he he was he was adamant uh, that the most important thing that could happen would be for someone to interview the original Sarté du Québec uh, investigator uh, Rock Goudreau. That this was something very very important that needed to be done, and if you could just sit down and have a have a summit with him, you know about why why he thought. Um, the the um, the cause of death was a was a drug overdose. If if you could have that meeting of minds, that that would be quite an achievement. Um, for a while, I argued back that um, I didn't. I thought it was pointless. That that you know my my father had listened to that story many many times. Um, my brother had actually met with Rock in the late nineteen nineties. And heard that he um, was on record, you know, in a television interview, he is saying, I still think it's a drug overdose. Right. And uh, and I had spoken to him on the phone where, he, you know, so I didn't see the point for a guy going a fifth round at sitting down with Rock Gaudreau. There was no but but in his view, this was really, really important. And, he, you know. For a while, I argued with it, and and then uh, eventually I just let it go. And whenever he'd bring it up, I'd just let him go through it and run out of steam, and and I'd just let the conversation, <laughs> I'd let the air drop right out of the conversation, you know, and and until he moved on. I, I think he must have he must have known that uh, I was not a receptive audience to this. Uh, 
Um, uh, nevertheless, you know, he, he was very, he was very supportive of the book. I don't know what he thought of it. Uh, I, I know we were communicating in, in, in September. He'd sort of, he'd, he'd be, he'd text me like, John, I heard you on the radio. <laughs> or like, did you know you were on the radio? It's like, well, of course I knew I was on the radio. <laughs> what did you, John, there was an article in the Gazette. It's like, well, I, I know I gave the interview, <laughs> Terry. Of course there was. You know, he'd do things like this. And then, you know, he wanted to get a signed copy uh, of it. And uh, I told him that Brome, like books, had a couple of copies. Of, he had a cottage in the Eastern Townships. We'll get to that. Um, so he drove to Brome Lake Books, even though it was like 45 minutes away. And, and you know, he later texted me a photo. Um, he had bought two copies and there he, he was holding them up over his car dashboard, you know enthusiastically which was sweet which was uh you know really really uh oh i like everything with terry was was good of him uh i yeah you know i say i know i know teresa was very close to him i don't want to short shaft that in any way um good friends um he uh uh and i i may have touched on this i think i've said you know a number of times uh, I've come to the Eastern Townships and I've stayed at a friend's cottage who's given it to me. That was Terry. Terry gave me his cottage. He had this lovely um, A-frame along, uh, that it, it was his parents, um, but now it was his, along Le- um, Lake Memphremagog, just, just uh, south of Austin, south of the... Um, the the monastery there between Austin and Owl's Head. Um, really hard to get to, um, but uh, he had been insisting for years um, for me to stay here. One time I went there when I was visiting uh, on my own and stayed uh, stayed the night with him. Had, had like beers on the dock, you know, and uh, he took me out for a boat ride around Molson's Island. He was right across from uh, the Molson family, Jeff Molson's place. Uh, and so he took me around the island and showed me the Molson's place and that. And then, you know, he was he was insisted that I should take my daughters there to just get away. Um, and after years of his, of his insisting, I, I eventually took him up on it. And it was such a great experience that I did it twice. And... Um, I didn't want to impose. I think that's why I held off. I also, I, um, um, I, I don't know. I thought it might be awkward, but you know, he's true to his his word. I mean, he charged me like the utilities, something nominal. He he often rented it out like a B and B in the summers, but he uh, foregoed that and and allowed me and my my kids to stay there. At, at, you know, at a great time in their lives um, some years ago when they were really, uh, when they were, you know, sort of tween years, um, which was a great, ex- you know, swimming and jumping off the dock, all kinds of stuff we did when we were kids in, in, in you know, in Lakefield, Peterborough, Stony Lake, you know, it's kind of a kind of a parallel experience. Uh, and, you know, I had a drive in uh, 
to uh, to Magog, uh, to the Metro and get groceries, try, you know, all of this stuff. Um, you know, it's just very, very relaxing. And uh, kids playing board games and uh, uh, he had a hot tub, you know, the kids love that. And so that was that was Terry two years in a row. He he, he offered that up, um, as I say, very, very generous. This is who killed Teresa. So um, at some point, there's always going to be a turn. There's going to be a dark spot, right? That I'm that I I kind of feel now I can't address uh, because Terry has died, right? Um, and uh, there, there's no reason not not to bring this up at this point. And it's it's true, so I'll just I'll just say it, um, and I think you know me well enough to know that I wouldn't be the guy who I am, who had um, gone down this road for twenty years without sufficiently exploring this possibility. Uh, it's only reasonable to, to assume that uh, I, would, um, I would pursue this. And I'll say what you probably, in your own minds, I would imagine, have already kind of formulated. And that is, well, have you ever thought that maybe this guy Terry was too close? And... Um, you know, I had heard this. I had heard from friends of Teresa that, you know, it was a little weird that he, um, at, at some point, he insisted on, you know, and this is after Teresa died, years after Teresa died, he insisted on taking, you know, packing them all in his car and, and driving to the spot where Teresa was found and insisting that they, you know, like they all, they all see it which was um, um, a, bit, a bit bizarre. Uh, could, could be just explained by the type of guy he was. He's kind of that, kind of that guy. But um, he, was, uh, he was a bit of a mystery as a, as a person. Um, I, I would imagine the things that I'm saying now, uh, people who knew Terry, they're going to find that they're, they're completely consistent with the Terry they know. Or, or they, it's like, I didn't know this, Terry, right? They're, <laughs> they're going to be inconsistent, and that would be Terry. I would think, um, my impression was that he compartmentalized relationships with people. So the relationship that I had with him was not the same relationship he had with B, C, D, Although there might have been similarities in all of those, um, in all of those interactions, um, 
they're they're and, and I think I think uh, when you do this long enough, you get paranoid. And at some point, I was thinking, wait, is is he is he getting so close to me? Because he urgently needs to see what I'm doing and and what step I'm at along the way in the process. And why would he need to know that? Well, um, if you were a suspect, you you might want to know that, to know what I knew and what I more importantly what I didn't know. Um I, I can tell you that time that I was at his cottage alone, this is absolutely this is just a fact. Um, it was uh, so so to get to his cottage, um, we were in Magog having drinks, and it was late, and I had had too much to drink. And he said, "Why don't you just stay the night at my cottage?" And he was very insistent on this. Um, and I didn't know I'd never been there. I didn't know, but you left Magog. And you turned left on um, Chemin de Père, right? You, you went to leave Magog, you, are, you travel along Highway 112 and turn left on Chemin de Père. You, you travel the same pattern that the murderer of Louise Cameron would have had to travel. 112, south on Chemin de Père, past Chemin Guerre, where right where um, where Cameron was found, past the monastery, where my dad knocked on the door after Teresa disappeared to see if she was there, past Austin, Quebec, where uh, police chief uh, Leo Hamel took search dogs, um, two or three weeks after Teresa disappeared, till you came to these winding roads to Terry's A-frame. Um, and, and I remember sitting on the dock and having a beer with him and just, we were just talking back and forth and thinking, uh, is this guy going to kill me? I, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I, I was thinking, cause if he did it, um, no one had, would ever know. I didn't tell anyone I was there. Nobody knew I was there. It was just him and me. Um, I was like, you know, he could he could take me out on the lake and uh, and dump me. Uh, he could bury me uh, on a piece of land here uh, next to the lake. Any of those things could happen. And I am not being dramatic. I am simply telling you what was going through my head at the time, um, uh, which I, I and I will fully own that um, that was unfair to Terry. But what can you do? I remember going to sleep that night and thinking, "Am I, you know, am I, am I going to be, uh, am I going to be killed in the night?" Right. Uh, and it was shortly thereafter that I I realized that um, if 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 Terry had done this, and it, it it was kind of improbable. If he killed Louise Cameron, nineteen seventy seven, he would have been really young to do that. Really young without any, from what I knew, patterns of violence in his life. He's just a, just a kid from the suburbs. He was no Luke Gregoire, for instance, where there was a, a pattern of violence there. Um, not surprising. It wouldn't surprise me that Luke Gregoire 
uh, murdered at the age of 16 or 17. Uh, Terry Roth, that would have shocked me. That would have shocked me. Um, Nevertheless, I thought, you know, there's an easy solution to this. If, 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 if he had done this in 1977, uh, I, I doubt he would have um, managed to survive for 40 years without something on his criminal record. Something, some kind of arrest, because that always happens. Some minor infraction, you know, uh, a theft or, or an assault, something like that. So I had the SQ check check into him. Uh, I had his birth date. Um, I certainly knew where he lived. And uh, and so they checked. And um, uh, he came came out uh, clean. He had no criminal record. None. Um, So there's that story that I have not shared. But wait, there's more. Um, <clears throat> so after that, I mean, obviously, I needed to clear that before I ever felt comfortable about taking my kids to that cottage. So clearly, I had I, I had passed through, you know, that rite of patch passage, that rite of true crime passage, to the point where I I had felt. Um, beyond a reasonable doubt in my mind that that my imagination was getting the best of me and that Terry Roth was nothing more than just a really um, perhaps overly zealous but ultimately um, really helpful, sweet guy. Um, but but in the in the book, wish you were here. You know, I'm not the only one who had this impression. Um, a friend of Teresa who, who was interviewed, uh, Debbie Ferdinand, and I can say this because it's in print, so whatever. You know, De- Debbie makes the point in the book that 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 a certain point after Teresa's death, that they were all spiraling. You know, with suspicions and rumors and what happened, what didn't happen, this kind of thing. And, and, and she states that spiraling, spiraling to the point where um, they be, some of them began to suspect others within the social circle of Teresa. And one of the people that they began to s- suspect was Terry. And it's in the book. We, we suspected, I can't remember the wording, but it's, we suspected this guy, this guy, Terry. That's Terry Roth, right? Um, again, uh, I, I think that's awful. I think that speaks more, and Debbie's point was um, uh, the absolute collateral damage that a murder can cause that you begin to um, to collapse and point the finger at you point blame at everyone around you. it um, you know, the uh, uh, the debris field from an event like this, and it's part of the point of the book, is vast. You know, I tend to focus on, um, you know, my own personal trauma, and and my debris field extends 
you know, to my, my mother, my father, my brother, me, that's really, it's sort of tight like that. I tend to forget about everyone else, everyone else who is touched, right? And I've heard a lot of this. Her teachers, her friends, uh, people who, who only knew of her, um, uh, cousins, uh, aunts, uncles, all of these people, all of these, everyone, and I'm not talking, I'm talking any murder. All of these people are affected. The detectives, right? The, um, all of it. So she was simply pointing out this fact. Now, <clears throat> again, I can disclose this now and I wanted, you know, it's the one thing I wanted to tell Terry uh, that I regret I, I, I never got to, to relate to him. Um, because I wanted him to finish the book first, and then I wanted him to, to have this conversation about all of this. Um, and I wanted to tell him this story because I think ultimately... Um, Knowing what I know now and, and feeling reconciled with the fact that that um, my my initial suspicions of Terry Roth were nothing but a, a product of, of trauma and an overactive imagination, that ultimately this story is a funny story and, and he would have he knowing him, he, he would have found it hysterically funny, hysterically funny. And that is um because Debbie Ferdinand told this story where they suspected Terry, um, one of the last things that had to be done in the, um, in the editing of Wish You Were Here was the index. You know, that's, that's uh, in the back of the book and it sort of, it's the catalog. It's where you put together, um, you know, where you can find things. So if you want to find anything on um, uh, my brother Andre, there's page references. Andre is on page 4, 14, 15, and 63, for instance. Uh, if, you, if you want to know, you know, about Allo Police, uh, Allo Police is discussed on 165, 283, you know, and on and on and on. It's a tedious thing to do, and, and typically you don't have to do it. They get a copy editor to to do that. And you just have to, you just have to fact check, check it. Well, <clears throat> for the page where Debbie Ferdinand mentioned Terry in the index, they had written down Terry page such and such, and then a hyphen. And it said possible suspect. <laughs> And I, 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 I read this like in June, you know, it, it, and it's towards the end of the process. And it is a tedious process at the end, you know, between chapter titles and photos and and quotes and all of this shit and, and, and fact checking. And then you get this index. Oh, and then you get the acknowledgments. Right. And the acknowledgments come at, at the last possible. It's the it's like the last thing I fucking want to do right now is thank anyone but they you know they typically you know they contact you and they say okay it's time to thank everyone it's time to be grateful and it's like i i'm so done with this but there it is but 
you know, so maybe the second last thing is the index, right? And there it is. Terry, the potential suspect. And I write the editor, uh, Craig, and I said, look, um, are you trying to get me permanently, like, unfriended? Are you, are you trying to create a colossal uh, uh, fuck-up in my life? You remove that right now. There's, we don't need it. Uh, it serves no point. Take it out, man. Axe it. Like just, just 86 that sucker right now. And, uh, and that's, and that's what they did. We ultimately took it out of the book, um, out of the index. There was no mention of Terry being a possible suspect, nor was he ever a possible suspect in the murder of my sister. Um, with the exception of a brief time um, when it played uh, in the paranoid imagination of, uh, of my mind. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. True crime on A&E with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking true crime every Thursday and Friday on A&E. I, I do want to, I feel obligated. I want to close with something positive about Terry. Um, after, after that, um, wh- one of the most important pieces of equipment props in my life is a cappuccino maker. It's a, it's a DeLonghi, a DeLonghi, uh, cappuccino maker. And that's pure, te- that's because of Terry. 
um, at this cottage he had, he had one of these. And I, I, you know, I always had like a, what do you call it? A, a Mr. Coffee. You know, I'd go for the cheapest piece of shit coffee maker, Black & Decker or something, <laughs> you know, all my life. Um, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it wasn't until fairly recently that I was like, just drop the bucks um, on a few things. Um, you tightwad. Um, and Terry had one of these at his, as I say, at his cottage at Delonghi. And, you know, he'd, uh, he, you know, he's just lovely in the way that he'd show you, he'd show you how to make it. And, you know, you need the ground, you know, this fine, it can't be coarse and, and this and, 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 you know, don't use the steamer on, you know, you know, it comes with a steamer, you know, on the side, but don't use the steamer cause it's crap. You want to buy your own, like an independent steamer steam the milk that way it's better and uh, you don't have to go to all the work um so he had he had this rig right for making cappuccino uh and uh he was like no you got to get it you got to get it it's the best thing you'll ever have um so i um so i bought one i've i've burned through two of them now um and i'm 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 sort of completely uh i'm wholly uh, uh dependent um relying on it right uh you know the other thing about terry is uh he uh he also was a disciple of 70s music completely um when you walked into his place he had it he had everything on timers right he had he had cameras um in in the cottage um i th i think partly to surveil you know, what the hell was going on there, which was a little bizarre, but a lot of them were po pointed at the bird feeders, right? So he could watch in Montreal what the birds were doing uh, in the eastern townships, and, you know, stuff like this. And uh, he he kind of had it, it programmed on a timer. Like when you, when you entered the place, my memory is that, that like his stereo would automatically come on and he had the, is it Sirius, Sirius? X1 or whatever he'd have the station would come on my automatically have it programmed to to the 70s right and so you'd walk in and there'd be like uh Bob Welch Ebony eyes playing right or um you know Boston more than a feeling something like that and in he was he was a staunch uh I don't I don't think musically he ever evolved uh, ELO definitely definitely ELO um, and I remember having conversations with him. I don't think he listened to anything outside of that era. Ever. Ever. And uh, I, I don't know that that influenced me. Uh, I would suspect we both picked that up as kind of like a, um, of a way to keep one foot uh, in the 70s and therefore one foot in the camp of, of, of Teresa. Uh, and you know, like this, this sort of allegiance, this, this uh, defiance uh, uh, to budge out of that. But that was uh, that was Terry. That was Terry Roth.
I want to go out uh, by uh, <laughs> at least mentioning that after um, quarantine, quarantine in after quarantine in uh, in New Brunswick, uh, I went and I I lived with my I lived with my mother for, for two weeks. I, I I'll say that again. I lived with my mother for two weeks. And, um, you know, in, um, uh, she, she lives in this place called, uh, well, it's, it's, it's subsidized housing, right? Um, I don't know. Sometimes you call it public housing, affordable housing. Uh, she has, or they, they had my, you know, before my father passed, uh, you know, one of the, one of the nicer apartments in this four-story building on the top floor. Um, but, um, you know, kind of Heinz 57 building, all sorts of people of all kinds of social economic backgrounds in that building. Um, uh, I think when they've initially moved there, I was, I was a little, I was a little um, hesitant, a little worried. I, I think ultimately it's been the best thing for them. They, uh, they all look after each other's. Occasionally, you get a bad apple in there, <laughs> bad apple. Um, but for the most part, that you know, they look out for each other, which is, I think, really, really good. Um, you learn very quickly to build social capital in a building like that, and and learn the value of that. Um, and less and less, sort of the the idea that money can buy things. It's what you do for each other. Um, uh, so so I, I it was living with you know I was living with my mom. Um, which I had not done, as I say, for, you know, <laughs> quite some time. And um, we would get on each other's nerves, uh, most, most definitely. Um, this, was, this was more uh, having to do with trying to learn her daily habits, not knowing them. You know, I hadn't stayed with my parents for, for over a decade. So I needed to know, uh, you know, when she got up, what she did, these, these kind of things. Just to make sure she's all right, right? Um, uh, those kind of things. Plus, there was a ton of uh, business to be done, uh, as as you would imagine, post um, post mortem, uh, and to help her out and all of this. And uh, you know, I I I gradually got to know people in the building, and, and they uh, um, quickly. Uh, some people found out that I was there. So there were a couple of articles in the paper. So they, then, you know, there were people who are in her building knew who I was and I, Oh, you're the guy who wrote the book. And you know, yeah, do you have a copy of that book for me? Eh? <laughs> it's like, uh, um, you know, a lot of people thought kind of assumed I probably was driving around with, with, with a sheaf of them, a, a pallet of them in the trunk of my car. And it's like, uh, no, no, I, I didn't bring any books. <laughs> With me, sort of the last thing on my mind. Um, and anyways, the, the days of getting boxes of books for free from a publisher are gone. I think I got 12 books. 12. <laughs> 12 copies of uh, Wish You Were Here. So uh, I was like, no, I don't have any. Well, do you know Do you know where I can buy one? <laughs> well, no, it's, it's not. It's not my town, man. Um 
but but slowly I learned that where you could buy them and and um, quickly learned that they were sold out. Uh, it was hard to come by, but some people had them. So I'd run into somebody and and say, uh, "Hell, can you sign it for me?" Uh, and he'd say, "Yeah, sure." Um, so I signed a couple for people, um, and uh, but a lot of me. You sure you don't have any of those books in your trunk? No, I don't have any books in my trunk. Um, so anyway, uh, over the course of days, you know, I'm doing errands for my mom and all that, and uh, a narrow book to be seen. Uh, so I haven't, I haven't had that experience yet, right? I haven't had that experience walking into a bookstore, and there's your book. Um, and uh, so we go to Costco. She's got a Costco membership, and uh, she wants to go to Costco before I leave, so she can she can stock up for the for the winter on certain things, you know, in, in, in bulk. She, she's like, "Where are the pickles?" And, you know, she buys like the biggest jar of pickles you've ever seen in your life. Well, I have a system. I have other jars, and I, I sort of empty. I empty the large bottle into the small bottle, and then I have several small bottles. I picked this up from your father. I said, yeah, no shit. <laughs> Never would have guessed. Um, so, you know, cookies and chocolates and stuff like this uh, she wanted to get. And uh, and my mom is, you know, she's, uh, she she walks with a cane now, but she maneuvers quite well, you know. Um, she's quite fast. You know, she's motoring down those those aisles, which, you know, to me, I, you know, I don't, the Costco experience is kind of foreign to me, right? The aisles are, it feels, you know, it naturally feels like an airplane hangar. The, the aisles feel like runways. And so she's motoring through the, there and I'm, I'm, I'm having to kind of truck to keep up with her and all that. And we round this corner uh, um, and there's, uh, there's a book section. And then, bam, there it is. Um, wish you were here in the Costco, uh, which I had no idea they were they were stocking. No one had no one uh, had informed of the you know of uh, us of this. Uh, although I would you know the author would be the last to know. <laughs> it's like you're not going to tell you anything. Just kind of leave you in the dark. Uh, but there it is. And, and not only that, I mean, there were, there were dozens of copies, uh, of the book. And, um, so I, I see them and there's a, there's a woman there actually who was looking at the books. And, um, I just said to her, I said, well, you should buy this book. And she goes, well, why should I buy that book? I said, cause it's my book. And she said, really? I said, yeah, yeah. She said, well, what is it? I said, well, it's true crime, you know, memoir, true crime. She said, oh, really? Is it good? Yeah, you know, it's good. It's good. You should buy it. She said, I'm going to buy it. So she picks it up. She starts walking away. I said, wait a minute. I said, I'll sign it for you. <laughs> so right there, I took out a pen and I, I signed it for her before she'd even bought it, you know. I hope she bought it. <laughs> Thank you. I guess she was committed at that point, right? Couldn't put it down after I walked away or something. <laughs> It's like, shit, the fucker signed it, right? Now what do I do? Um, uh, and then, uh, <clears throat> you know, so she goes away and, um, you know, I look at my mom and I said, you know what? I I, I think I'm going to buy them. 
And she's like, you know, that's just what I was thinking, she says. <laughs> because, uh, because shit, it's, um, it's hard to come by. And, and uh, I've had a number of people ask for signed copies, which I can't really, I haven't been able to give them. I've had a number of people to ask in other countries, including U.S., where it's currently not published. There's, there's a juggernaut with the publishing industry right now that I, maybe I'm being over-optimistic, but I really feel is going to break um, shortly, which will, will, will be good. Um, but, you know, me buying 51 copies of Wish You Were Here is really not going to uh, impact, uh, you know, it's not neg negatively going to impact the potential sale to a U.S. publisher, despite what my editor may may think. So, um, so I, I got a shopping cart, and I put fifty-one copies of Wish You Were Here in the in the shopping cart. Cart, and uh, I, I'm going to tell you right now, they were discounted. All right, and and before you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're selling me a book, um. Uh, you know, at, at retail value that you bought discounted? Yes, I am. Because y you're not the one who had to walk with their mother out of Costco with a shopping cart full of the books and load them in the trunk of her car um, and then had to drive that car into her subsidized housing parking garage and go get my car and saddle it up next to her car and like a thief in the night, load books from the trunk of her car into my car and, and God forbid anybody from the building walks into the garage and sees you with a trunk full of books because you just told them you don't have a trunk full of books and then drive them across the border um, and then load them into your house in North Carolina and then go through the trouble of setting up a website and wrapping them and shipping them. So no, I did not really get them at a discount. All right. <laughs> I did it on a lark. Um, and my mom ended up buying them. Yes. If you if you if you must know, we got we got into this bickering match. She was like, "Well, if you buy them, I'm going to have to use my credit card." And I was like, "That's absurd. You're not going to have to use your credit card." No, I think I have to use the Costco credit card. You don't have to. That's mom. Please, you know I, I respect it, but you're a little old. You know, you're a little old lady, and I happen to know a little bit about the credit and how things work. And anyone can use any credit. You can pay any way you want. So we get to the lineup and say, well, we only use a Costco credit card here. <laughs> so you'll have to take them back or your mom's going to have to buy them for you. So I told you. Here, let me, let me. So, yeah. So, um, so my mom bought 51 copies of Wish You Were Here. But that's the true story of how some of you are currently receiving signed copies. Well, signed by one of us, 50% signed. It doesn't have Patricia's um, signature. Teaser, 
in the new year, I may have Patricia on the podcast to discuss a different book. That'll be fun. We'll see. We'll see. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Experience gorgeous, lasting, high-quality hair color with Madison Reed. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit. Use code RADIO10. A couple of closing thoughts and uh, uh, then we'll uh, skadoot, skedaddle. Um, um, y- uh, you know, my brother phoned me the other night to tell me that he's... Um, there was a new, uh, uh, a new show on Netflix about um, the Yorkshire uh, Ripper, a case I'm really, actually, I'm quite fascinated with, and and I thought I thought he was talking about some YouTube thing, but um, sure enough, the next morning I got up and I and I looked and and when I went in when I logged into Netflix, it was the first thing that came up, the Ripper. This series, um, uh, uh, produced by Emily Thompson, is that and it that can't be the same Emily Thompson from Morbidology. We would know if it was, wasn't it? it I was kind of like, whoa, she, <laughs> she kept that under wraps. Whoa, um, I don't know, maybe it is. I haven't asked her about it yet. Um, and he he was quite taken with it and the similarities um, between the Yorkshire Ripper case and um, uh, events that took place in Quebec in the nineteen seventies. I have always been fascinated by that. Um, I just I haven't really said it. There's there's um, there's some strange uh, similarities with it. Uh, the timeline is exquisite. 77 78 for these things going on i mean the the synchronistic possibilities are just mind-boggling uh a similar offender um um a, a guy who um preyed on and and just prostitute whatever did some a man a man an offender who hated women who hated women. Um, that uh, is evident in every 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 element of every crime scene in both Quebec and and in the Leeds area and beyond. Uh, to my mind, um, other things I won't get into. Um, I, I for some reason I was speaking or texting. Um, Chantel from Lady Justice about this and asked her if she'd seen it. She said she had. Um, and she she expressed that she found it quite, um, I'm trying to think of the word she used, like um, rudimentary or um, basic, something like that. Um, that may be for her or somebody in the UK 
um, who's probably all too familiar with this case. For somebody living in North America, I can tell you that the file footage alone is is just exquisite. Uh, we don't get that here, right? We we don't get to see um, film of you know these clubs in the Leeds area, you know, or a, a Bobby or 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 of them combing the crime scene and all that. We we don't we don't we don't get that. So visually, uh, it's very, very striking uh, to to me, and and um, this this it may all be common knowledge to someone um, in the UK, but for for me, I'm I'm only halfway through it, um, and I I you know this I don't watch a lot of this stuff, but um, the Yorkshire Ripper case, Sutcliffe. Um, is one where I, um, I'm, I'm keenly aware of and, and interested in. Very, inter- very interested in. Let's just say that. So there's, um, there's that. Uh, it's the end of the year. Mm, I'll just say that it's the end of the year. It's the end of this year. Um, and. Uh, you know, if you want a Christmas episode, I'd go back and I'd listen to the Santa Claus murders from last year. You know, those were kind of thrown together, um, but in reflection, they're really kind of good. The music is great. Uh, Coltrane, right? From It's Coltrane and uh, Charles, I think it's Charles Mingus. Coltrane from 64 and Charlie Mingus, some others. Uh, I, I Actually, I think that really came off well and there's there's like a grittiness to it huh there's 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 a um there's not that new snow feel to it it's there's that the snow has been around for six weeks and it's gray and dirty feel to those two episodes i think i i finally put them together as one maybe i don't i don't know but if you're looking for something uh morosely christmasy um, try that. You might like that. Uh, thanks to everybody who, um, who so far have bought the book and enjoyed it and read it and shared it. Uh, I'd love for you to continue doing that. Um, you don't want to talk about the podcast, say you've read the book, um, uh, give the book, uh, a five-star review on, uh, Goodreads or, or Amazon. That, that'd be uh, that'd be fantastic. That'd be really fantastic. Uh, and people have supported Ian. Um, thank you so much for all your support this year. Uh, Emily, Chantel, uh, Betty, a listener named Betty sent me a present. I came home and there was a, a book, a uh, funny book on, on cycling and the Tour de France. That really touched me. Uh, very nicely, um, so I appreciate that. I, I'm not, I'm not good at um, expressing there, or, or I'm, I'm very good at expressing. It. I just don't take the time to. Page uh, at Reverie, uh, True Crime. Thank you so much. Um, it it uh, caught in my own world sometimes, and I don't take the time to stop and give thanks and just gratitude. So. 
it's a good time to do that. We should end it there. Uh, this has been Who Killed Teresa. I'm your host, John Elor. Thanks for listening and have yourselves a great, great day. In the land where horses bone with eagle wings and honeybees have lost their stings, they're singing forever.
we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. True Crime on A&E, with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking True Crime, every Thursday and Friday on A&E.